Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Somebody once said, counting another people's sin, other people's sins does not make you a saint. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. And folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format. We welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is the subject for today? Well, Rick, our question is, are some sins worse than others? And our theme text is found in Psalms chapter 19, verses 12 and 13. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Okay, so the question, are some sins worse than others? So let's start by being Captain Obvious, all right? Sin is bad. To act act in accordance with sin is to act in a way that is not only contrary to the will of God, but also damaging to our standing before God. It's obvious that if we want to be pleasing to God, then we need to really focus on managing our misdeeds. So, how do we do that? Are some transgressions worse than others? Can we find solace in the thought that, and this is, I like this thought, that, well, at least my sins are not as bad as that guy over there. I mean, (laughs) does that help? What do we do, what do we need to do to rein in our misdoings and continue to clarify our conscience? Should we be focusing on totally avoiding what we think are really big sins or on avoiding all of the little trespasses that never seem to quit? So, Jonathan, a lot of stuff to talk about here uh, in relation to sin. Sin's a big subject. It really is. And are some sins worse than others? Well, that's a good question. And we're going to be looking at that and sort of uh, toying with that. Actually, coming up in the next segment, we're going to be touching on our first pass at, well, what might be the worst sin? So that, that's coming up next segment. So look, the really good news on this difficult subject of sin is that it, its many faces um, are, in, are there and they, they, uh, they, they come into our lives and they do damage but we're not left to struggle through figuring uh, to to figure this whole thing out by ourselves. Answers exist. And so th- that's where we want to start because sin is a discouraging subject. I mean, we were talking about it ahead of time and it's like we're both getting depressed, right? <laughs> you know it, but I'm glad answers exist. I mean, there's hope here. And we're going to start with the biggest answer. So let's start with the big big answer, Romans 5:18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. See, now, that is the big answer. That is the ultimate answer for all of sin. Uh, His name is Jesus, and what that is describing is one transgression, Adam, put everybody into inheriting sin. One act of righteousness, Jesus, put the same number of people 
into a position of being able to re- be redeemed from sin. That's the good news. That is great news, Rick. Okay. The bad news is we still have to deal with sin every minute of every day. You're right. Okay. So it's great to have that great news, but let's get down now to some of the more practical parts of it. So the larger context of the theme scripture, you know, discerning your errors and hidden faults and keeping back your servant from presumptuous sins. Psalm 19 is a psalm about the – it begins – about the works of God. So we're not going to read all of the verses. There's just there's too much here. But just let's sum up the first six verses by reading verse 1 of Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. So verses 1 through 6, that was just verse 1, are about the bigness of God and God's creation and focus on the earth. Now, specific, now, verses 7 through 9, we're not going to read them now. We're going to go back to the next segment. But what, what, do, they, what do verses 7 through 9 focus us on? Well, Rick, specifically, God's methods for dealing with his human family. Okay, so how does God deal with us? Verses 7 through 9, we'll come to those next segment. That's what those are about. But let's go to verses 10 and 11. So we're going to read this a little bit out of order because verses 10 and 11 reveal the profound value of God's methods, like you just said, verses 7 through 9 cover, of God's methods for dealing with his human family. So verses 10 and 11 say, here's what God's methods, and there's like six of them in, in, in those verses we'll get to next segment. Here's what they are. Here's, here's their value. Here's what they feel like. Go ahead. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Okay. They're more desirable than gold, and they're sweeter than honey. You know what that reminds me of is uh, like a kid's cereal commercial. Hey, it tastes good, and it's good for you. <laughs> you know? That's what it reminds me of. They're, more, they're, they're very, very valuable, and they taste so good. And the, the important thing, though, in verse 11 that you read, What's what's the big thing that we need to take from those, those 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 things those methods of God dealing with us? Well, by your servant, you're warned. So so be aware you're warned and keep them because there is great reward when you are keeping them. So when it comes to sin, by keeping these methods of God in place, it's a warning system. It's a built-in sin tracking system, if you will if we would keep these things in place. So we're going to go through them uh, methodically throughout the, uh, the rest of the podcast as we talk about sin and, and what it does. So God's methods are not only desirable, they are necessary warnings, and they are safeguards for a successful life in serving him. Uh, and, and Jonathan, you know, we were talking before the, the podcast started uh, about how sin permeates into all parts of our lives, and, and it's it's... It's a disturbing thing once you learn about it because now you're responsible for it, right? That's right. Absolutely. And if you're going to be following in Jesus' footsteps, you are made clearly. <laughs> you're made aware. Oops. <laughs> I'm not doing quite the job I need to do. And a lot of times, oops becomes, oh, no, mm-hmm. which becomes, oh, no. So you're right. We have to be really aware of all of this. So uh, let's let's fully quote now verse uh, the the theme scripture Psalm 19. You know we sort of skipped through the first several verses. Psalm 19 verses 12 and 13. Who can discern his errors? 
Clear thou me from hidden faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be clear from great transgression. So he's saying, look, who can figure this out? Who can discern? And, and you know, that's why we need to go back to the things that, you know, that you buy, by the, the methods that God deals with us, we can be warned. Who can figure it out? Clear me from secret faults. In these verses, 12 and 13, there's actually five pieces that we want to just make sure we understand. What's the first piece? Well, Rick, we cannot figure all of this out on our own. Okay. It's beyond us. And, and you said that before when you said, you know, if you're going to be following Jesus, you are taught what to be looking for. Okay, we can't figure all of this out on our own because what's the second piece? Well, it's because, Rick, some of our sins are hidden. All right. And we, we don't even know that they're there. And that, you know, that's a scary thing. That is. <laughs> you know, somebody comes up to me and says, Rick, there's some things wrong with you, and you have no idea what they are, but they're really going to be hurting you later. It's like, great, thanks for that information. <laughs> what do I do with it? Okay, so can't figure it out because some of our sins are hidden. What's the third point? Some of our sins are presumptuous. Okay, and we'll get into defining that in a moment. What's the fourth one? And the fourth is... They can easily gain dominance in our lives. And see, that is where we now need to be really, really careful. Because when something can easily become dominant in your life, the question, like you said, you're called to follow Jesus. What's supposed to be the dominant thing in your life? When you're doing, doing God's will and being righteous. Right. Following in Jesus' footsteps. That's the dominant thing. So if... This scripture is saying uh, to us, let these sins not have dominion over me. When something has dominion, it rules. You're stuck. <laughs> yes. And it's not a pretty picture at all. And so the, the, you know, he's painting a very difficult and almost depressing picture. What's the fifth part of these two verses? With God's help, we can be upright and clear. Okay. So it's interesting because he, in the psalm, David says, hidden faults and presumptuous sins. So the first thing we can conclude about sin is that they're not all the same. Okay? No, they're not. They're not. And like you said, some are on the inside, some are on the outside. We're going to be discussing that and going through that uh, as we go through the, uh, the podcast here. Jonathan, I want to go to a soundbite from uh, Seven Deadly Sins from the School of Life. And in this series of soundbites, we're going to touch on this um, several times, the speaker kind of takes the approach that, okay, there's these sins, but, you know, a lot of times it's not really your fault, and, you know, you don't want to be too hard on yourself. It's not something that's your fault. So we want to sort of throw that out there because the way we've started is, oh, you got to watch out. Oh, man, you know, you're responsible. Oh, boy, oh, boy. And this guy's just taking it from a different perspective. Just thought it would be a good balance for us. So let's listen to this first uh, soundbite about pride. Pride. It can appear as if we end up boasting and grandstanding because we're so pleased with ourselves. Far from it. Boasting is only ever a response to a feeling of invisibility. We badly need to thrust forward our own importance because behind the scenes our very right to exist seems so much in question. We see it as almost inevitable that others will think ill of us unless we urgently and dramatically assert our greatness. That's why, of all people, the proud don't need to be told they're terrible. 
This is precisely what they secretly think they are already. They need encouragement to feel a more genuine pride in their own merits, and then to be spared the manic impulse constantly to call them to the attention of others. So he's saying, okay, when you see pride, instead of saying, "Wow, that's not so good," say, "Oh, the poor soul." What do you think? <laughs> does that does that make sense to you? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know, and it's interesting because I can I can see a way, I can see a circumstance in which what he's saying may be true. Somebody's sort of putting themselves forward to as a compensation for feeling completely inferior. I get that. But what about people who are proud because they've accomplished great things legitimately, but they take that accomplishment and it becomes overriding for everything else? See, that's the kind of pride I think that the scriptures are talking about, not the kind of action that is, well, you're trying to make up for other inconsistencies in your life. That makes more sense. Well, it does. It makes more sense to me. And, and so, therefore, when we see pride, you know, are, now do we need to be psychologists when we're Christians and say, well, no. <laughs> you know, let me look into this person's background and see if it's being caused by an inferiority complex or it's being caused because they legitimately are putting too much value onto the things they've accomplished. You know, you've got to take the outcome and say, according to Scripture, that outcome isn't good. So we have to be careful about that. I think that's the way we need to lead that, leave that one. Anyway, mo- moving along. We've, we talked about having hidden faults and presumptuous sins. So, so let's just d- quickly define hidden faults. What does hidden mean in the scripture? Well, Rick, it means to hide by covering, literally or figuratively. So now when, when these sins are covered, the question is, are they covered so we can't see them? Or are they sins that we are covering on purpose so nobody else can see them? B. <laughs> you know, yes, the second part of that. <laughs> and I think, I think both of those play a role in, in the whole sin thing because sometimes we do have sins in ourselves that we just don't see. And, you know, it comes out. But there are other times when we really just keep it really close to the vest and we don't want anybody else to see them. Then we have presumptuous sins. And that's a word that we don't use so often. What does that mean? You're right, Rick. Uh, it means arrogant, proud, insolent, or presumptuous. Okay. So arrogant or insolent sins, sins of just sins that are just out there and that and Jonathan, just to be general, I think we see a lot of presumptuous sins in the world, especially sins against God and against the humility and the uh, the integrity of looking at a higher power in God Almighty and honoring and worshiping him. That's a good point. Yeah, you're right. You know, we see that in our replacing God with becoming God. And, and that, is the, that is a very presumptuous type of a situation. So we've got an overcoming principle. We're going to go through overcoming principles throughout this entire podcast. What's our first overcoming principle here? Our sins are revealed in either in a personal and inward way or in a public and outward way. Either way is a cause for action. All right. So at the very beginning of our sin conversation, the first thing to understand is it's either on the inside or on the outside. Now, sometimes things that start on the inside trickle out to the outside. That's right. But for the simplicity, what we're going to try to do is break sin down into different, different categories. And the interesting thing about the categories is going to be that no matter which category you're dealing with, danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> Don't go it's there. 
all sin. <laughs> yes, yeah, and it's all in need of forgiveness. It's all in need of action. It's all in need of recognition. It's always going to be in need of correction. So whichever it is, those are the needs. So, simple. So far and already, sin is looking pretty devious. If sin is revealed inwardly or outwardly, how many ways do we end up expressing that revealed sin? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. So the way sin is revealed is just the beginning. Now we need to look at how we go about expressing that sin that is in us. Why would we explain this? Because we all already do it. And once we identify what it is that we're doing, we can get on with the business of managing the madness. (laughs) It's so true. It is the madness, isn't it? (laughs) It is. It is. And it's sad because we're all stuck in it. And, you know, Jonathan, I mean, I've been a a, a dedicated Christian since I was 16 years old, and that's a lot of years, and I'm still stuck in the madness. And, you know, it's like, Rick, what is wrong with you? How many years have got to go by before you learn some things? And, hey, Rick, I've studied uh, since I was uh, 29, actually 26, but you know what one of my biggest fears was? What's that? from the beginning of learning how to follow Jesus, my fear of um, bringing reproach to our Heavenly Father. If I sin outwardly, I would misrepresent him as my father. But I realize that there is no difference with inward sins because uh, I still bring shame upon him and me. So I'm working on it. But that is one of my greatest fears to bring reproach to God. See, now that's a... That is, you know, you know, my response to that is, congratulations, Jonathan. No, seriously, <laughs> okay. that is a terrific fear to have. That, is a, that fear is as good of, as gold, because if we carry that fear with us, I don't want to bring reproach to my Heavenly Father. I don't want to reflect badly on God. That can help us stay out of so much trouble, not only inside of our heads, but in, you know, in, in our actions. So that's a really good way for us to start is let's be afraid. Let's legitimately be afraid of bringing uh, uh, um, a bad reputation to God because of what we say, do, or think. So congratulations. Thank you for that. That was <laughs> good. Welcome. There's a, there's a really good Benjamin uh, Franklin quote here on sin. Sin is not hurtful because it is forbidden, but it is forbidden because it is hurtful. And, you know, God is pretty smart. And the things that end up being hurtful to humanity, not just in the moment, but in the long term, those are the things that are sinful. And we find that when we act in a righteous way and in a a way of godliness and mercy and integrity, we're not hurting anybody not in the short term or the long term. Surprise, surprise, that's not sinful action. So it's a matter of God has set up what is sinful and what's not sinful so that we can be positive and contributory in our lives. So the next question is, are there specific doorways that sin uses to enter into our minds and hearts so it can be expressed? And the answer is yes, absolutely. 
Okay, and once again, we have a scriptural answer. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So in John, he's saying, look, don't love the world. It's not a good thing. And, you know, that's a tough thing because there's a lot of things in the world that are very, very, very attractive. Oh, that's so true. And there are a lot of th- things in the world that are really good. Yep, that's, that's also true. <laughs> okay, so what he's saying, you've got to, if you're a Christian, you've got to rise above that. And then he talks about all that is in this world, and he names three things, three, uh, uh, three uh, ways that sin is conceived and developed and expressed in our lives. And what are those three things again? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So in these three specific actions, the lust or the desire of what we see, the desires of our flesh, and the pride of our personal life, in those three things, all sin is conceived, developed, and it's expressed. Now, all sin doesn't need to have all three of those things, but those are the three ways. So now what we have is sin is either inward or outward, and it's expressed in three different ways. So any sin that we look at through the rest of this podcast and probably, you know, in your own conversations and study, we're going to find some combination thereof. Is it inward or is it outward? Is it the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life? That helps us to figure it out so that we can actually deal with it. We're going to go to uh, the, a soundbite from the School of Life. And, you know, there is a list that was compiled uh, back in the, I don't know, 13, 14, 1500 or something, of seven deadly sins. Now, those seven deadly sins, quote-unquote, are not listed in the Bible as such, but they were compiled and the church sort of took them on and used them as tools to help keep people in line. Eh, Good, bad, or indifferent, you know, it's just, it's a list. But we're going to be taking a look at some of those seven deadly sins just by way of adding to our conversation. So um, here, let's get started here. Uh, with uh, one of those seven deadly sins. Envy. Envy is a graceless way of confronting an idea that is, in other contexts, fundamental to decent ambition, as well as modesty of character. The notion that we are incomplete, imperfect. Envy grows from the legitimate insight that others have something to teach us, mixed together with a degree of inaccuracy and panic about what this might actually be. Envy should, in a perfect world, be our teacher. We should note when it strikes us, sift through its confused signals, and use them to work out our direction and purpose. The solution isn't to be made to feel guilty for our envious attacks. It's to be helped to understand what's truly missing from our lives. So let me get this straight. He's saying if you're envious, that's a good thing. (laughs) Wow. Well, if, if it's graceless, I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> well, you know, here, here's the thing that's so important about this. You know, he's, he's, he's giving us justification. And again, what he's doing, he's saying there are certain circumstances, and you've got to agree that sometimes when you look at something, you say, boy, I wish I could do that. 
it's showing you that, well, you can't, but maybe you can, and maybe there's something for you to learn, and then you have that humility that goes along with it that says, oh, now I can learn to do that. Yeah, that that's a nice thing. That's a good thing. But envy in general, Jonathan, let's be honest, it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. It works that you have what I don't have, and I'm jealous. It's selfish. Yeah. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that, you know, just... To, to, to make it very practical, you know, between you and I, you've got such a great talking voice. And I just, I just don't, <laughs> you know, it's like, man, I wish I had Jonathan's voice. Now, you know, what do I do? Can I go rip your vocal cords out and try to put <laughs> No, I can't. You know, it's a matter of instead of being envious, saying, well, I'm glad for him, <laughs> you oh, know? Thank you. Please don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, we don't want to justify things that are sinful. And, and, you know, that's why we're playing those sound bites on the seven deadly sins and all that. Because, you know, there's a justification. It's too tempting to just walk along with that justification. How about the concept of Paul? Um, he desired, don't follow me, but follow me as I follow Christ right. Jesus. Right. You know, that's looking towards the positive way instead of saying, oh, I, I want to be better than Jesus or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Instead of saying, hey, follow me because I know everything. Yeah, exactly. It's follow me when I'm following Christ because I that way you are sure you're walking in the right direction. So if Jesus is right in front of me, then you can follow me. And he's basically saying, if Jesus is not in front of me, you shouldn't be following me. There you go. So there, okay. So the context of our theme text gave us God's methods for dealing with our sins. Let's read what they are. Remember, we said we we're going to read verses seven through nine in this segment. Psalm nineteen, seven through nine. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. So in these verses, you've got the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts, the commandments, the fear, and the judgments, all of the Lord. These are ways for us to deal with sin. So we're going to sprinkle these out throughout the rest of the podcast and look at them as, as tools tools for overcoming sin, tools for recognizing and overcoming it. So, Jonathan, there's a really important principle in terms of overcoming sin. To manage it, what do we have to do? We need to redirect our minds. Redirect your mind. That's the first. We're going to be repeating that throughout this entire podcast. And let me give you a quick example of that. Okay, very practical example. Folks, some of you may may have had this experience. Many of you may not have had this experience, but it is really a hard experience. And Jonathan, you and I can relate to this. Suppose you're dealing with somebody who has Alzheimer's. And what happens when you have Alzheimer's is you get stuck in patterns of thinking. And your world has become very small and your long-term memory is intact and your short-term memory isn't. And you go back to things long ago and you harp on them and you can't get them out of your head. So one of the tools for managing that, what you're taught to do, is to redirect that Alzheimer's patient to think about something else. Just redirect them. And sin is like Alzheimer's. It gets us stuck on things and we can't get out. 
And the answer to it is to simply redirect. And we're going to expand that as we go through the rest of the podcast. So the law of God, that's the first one. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of God's overall proclamation for mankind for all ages, that is his love and his justice. That's the essence of the law of God. And that's expressed in Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So, you know, Jesus is the embodiment of the law of God. And therefore, our sins can be given to him. And this is an important process. This restores life both now for God's chosen ones and later for the rest of the world. But the key is you've got to go back to the law of God because it's perfect. And, you know, the, the, the verse you read talked about being justified by Jesus' blood. So now, what's the importance of his blood in relation to the, to the law of God? Well, we're made right by his sacrifice, and it, his blood is better than bleach because we have the robe of Christ's righteousness. When we sin, we put a blotch on our robe, and that blood whitewashes that sin away when we ask for forgiveness through his, his sacrifice. So the law of the Lord is perfect. There is perfect justice. Jesus has taken care of sin in the big picture, and we need to remember that. When we are in a situation of dealing with our own sins, we need to go back and remind ourselves the law of the Lord is perfect. That's one of the things that can help us put things in, in, in order. So good. That's, I like that. The, the, the blood of Jesus is better than bleach because it is a better cleaning agent. And, and it just it has a permanent effect if we allow it to. So that, 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 that's, that's very powerful. So, Jonathan, you know, the, the title, the, the initial question of our podcast for today was, are some sins worse than others? So let's take a look at some different opinions as to what the, the Bible says is the worst of all sins. This first one is from Rick Renner, uh, and he's going to give um, his opinion on what the Bible says is the worst of all sins. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, where God talks about the seven abominations that he hates more than any other abomination. Listen to what it says. These six things is the Lord hate. Yea, even seven are abominations unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, fit feet that are swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. And you may ask, of all of those abominations, which are the worst? Well, the Bible says God hates all of them. In fact, the Bible says they are all abominations to him. But now here is the amazing thing. When you come to Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 25, it says all seven abominations are in the heart of a gossip, which elevates gossip to the worst of all abominations. So, Rick Renner says that gossip is the worst of all sins. Now, I'm not going to ask you yet what you think the worst of all sins is. We'll, we'll save that for later. But tell me, what do you think of gossip? <laughs> gossip is bad. It's a sin. But the worst? 
I'm not sure. Okay, all right. So you're not committed to gossip as as the worst sin, and you're not committed to gossip as a as a practice, correct? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> all right. Well, that's good. All right. Okay. So let let's think about it. What what do you think the worst sin is? And folks, you know, if you want to get into the uh, Christian Questions chat board at ChristianQuestions.com, let us know what you think. What do you think the worst sin might be? Let's now get into some examples of sin, Jonathan. The first example is going to be an inward, hidden sin that's expressed through the lust of the eyes. Remember the inward, outward sins and the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Matthew five twenty nine is an inward sin expressed through the lust of the eyes. What is that? If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into Gehenna. Okay. So you see something, the, the, the lust of the eye, and it, it has a negative effect on you. And Jesus is saying, tear your eye out. Now, first of all, does Jesus literally mean tear your eyes out? No. It's symbolic, not okay. literal. <laughs> okay. And we have to be utterly, utterly clear on that. This is symbolic language. He's saying you've got to alter something about yourself if what you see is going to cause you to sin so badly. So what happens with these sins of the mind? You know, when you see something that you really want and, and, and starts to draw you, Jonathan, what, what, what's the process? What's going on there? Well, Rick, it does damage. Yeah. It does damage to your to your Christ-likeness, to your heart, and you're, you're moving in the wrong direction. Okay, so it gets you to move in the wrong direction. Now, nobody necessarily knows you're moving because this is something you see and is happening inside your head. Exactly. So, so how do you overcome something like that? I mean, it's happening inside your head. Nobody else can see it. Well, um, you've got to remove it. It's brain surgery time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good thought. And, and, and as we go through the podcast, we're going to get into some of the practicality of how to do that. How to Remember, we talked about redirecting your mind, okay? There's a lot of suggestions we're going to come up with. And here's the thing. Who will know if we overcome those things? Because if they're inside of our minds and something that we've seen, who knows if we overcome or not? Well, we're going to know, yeah. and the Lord's going to know. And those are the only two people that are important in the matter. Yes. When you've got those inward sins, God knows. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, in time of need. See, that is a verse that gives you encouragement. Jesus was tested. He was faithful. But here's the key. He understands. And it means so much more to talk to somebody who understands what you're going through rather than somebody who's never been through it before. So this brings us to our, 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 our next overcoming principle. What is that? Rick, it's prayer. The foundation of God's law for solving sin is Jesus' ransom. The power of this ransom is available by way of prayer, especially for those who seek to follow Jesus. And Rick, a quick example. Lord, forgive me for these wrong thoughts and help me to overcome them. Help me replace them with goodness and righteousness. See, it, it comes down to the prayer. It's not just, dear Lord, forgive me for my sin. It's being specific, like you just said. It's putting it out there. You know, God knows anyway. He does. So 
what are we going to, are we going to try to parse our words with our Heavenly Father to make sure we present it properly? Spill it out when you're in that position where you've had that, that sin, that inward sin of, 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 of the lust, of the desire of what you've seen, and it, and it, and it begins to wreak havoc upon yourself. I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing that's so, so important here. You know, it's scary to think how much sin actually happens inside our minds where no one can see. How do we deal with sins that are more about actions and not just in our minds? Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. Managing the challenge of our thoughts is just the beginning of managing sin in the rest of our lives. The two points thus far about redirecting our minds in prayer are helpful, but they're just an introduction. For the battle against misdeeds covers all aspects of our existence. So make no mistake, it's great to have the start that we've talked about, but it's only a start because sin works through, you know, sin, sin, sin is like ants. You know, have you ever had ants in your house? Oh, yeah. They're and, hard to get rid of. Yeah, and they just keep coming back, and you set out the traps, and okay, and you think you're doing something good, and then, you know, then you get ants in the other room, and then they're there. And there's that, that one ant that's just walking across the, the floor just so arrogantly like, ah, you didn't catch me. <laughs> you know, that's what sin is like. It just doesn't go away. You can set traps and all that, but we have to keep working at it and working at it. So, again, Jonathan, what's the, the, one of the key principles we want to keep repeating? redirect your mind to manage sin you've got to redirect your mind let me give you an example okay remember we talked about an alzheimer someone with alzheimer's mm-hmm. well, my dad uh, passed away a few years ago but he had alzheimer's uh before he passed away and he would get hung up on on certain things all the time one of the things was his mom not being around his mom dying and it would and it would make him cry and it would make him so upset and he'd always ask about it so instead of answering the question, he would say, you know, where's my mom? Did she pass? Instead of answering the question, I'd say, so dad, did you read your morning devotional text today? And he'd look at me and say, and his eyes would get wide. And even before he'd answer, I'd say, well, let's read it. And I'd open it up and I'd give it to him and he'd read it. And he'd get very excited. And Jonathan, sometimes two minutes later, he'd be asking about his mom and he'd start to get upset. And I'd say, so dad, did you read your devotional text for today? And his eyes would get wide. And literally, sometimes we'd repeat the same thing three times in 10 minutes. But so what? He needed to be redirected. And instead of crying for the moment, he had something to rejoice in. Okay? So redirect your mind. Psalm 19, the second part of verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Okay. The testimony, the witness of the Lord is sure. And when God gives witness to his ways, that witness is fact. These facts are always built upon the foundation of God's plan of love and justice. God's testimony about this was and is utterly clear. His testimony about his love and his justice is always centered on Jesus and his sacrifice. And a great example of that is in 2 Peter 1, 17 and 18. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
and we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So they were with him. Where, where was that? That was the vision on the Mount of Transfiguration, wasn't it? Yes. And so the, the point is God testified. God bore witness to Jesus as his son, as the epitome of the solving of the problem of sin and death in the world. So when God witnesses, the testimony of the Lord is sure. This is, those are the words of God about Jesus. We can count on those. That makes those of us in our simple minds much wiser. And it's a great way to remind ourselves to redirect our minds. To, to, to think of something different and higher so we can focus on uh, getting, getting through and getting over sin. Let's go back to the, the school of life, the seven deadly sins. Uh, we talked about pride uh, and envy so far. Now he's going to talk about wrath. And remember, his, his take on these things is, well, you know, you may have these things, but they're not really your fault. So let's uh, just listen in. Wrath. The mean, angry things we say when we're upset are almost never truly meant. They are the result of panic and anxiety. We call someone a stupid fool because we are, at that moment, terrified. We shout because we feel we're fighting for our lives. Therefore, instead of being repeatedly told how appalling it is to be angry, we of course know this quite well already, what we need is someone to demonstrate a proper understanding of our underlying fears. You must be scared is the kindest, but also the most effective response to any angry outburst. It puts its finger on what's really going on. We need others to appreciate our fragility, not berate us for our rules. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, you, you know, I, I'm sure you've dealt with some angry people in your time. Yes, yes. And are you scared? You must be scared. Uh, in, in a lot of the... It doesn't seem like it fits. And the it reason doesn't. the reason is because sometimes people just get angry. It's not because they're scared and insecure. They're mad. They're mad about something. And when we express emotion outside of personal discipline, okay, when we allow the emotion to rule us instead of ruling it, that, I think, is what God is talking about, as that's not something that is acceptable. It's not. It's a sin, and we fell short, and we need to ask forgiveness and move forward. Right, right. So, yeah, you, I, can, I can see a, a set of circumstances arise where what this gentleman was saying would be true. But that, to me, is, is wrath that comes out of immaturity rather than the wrath that comes out of true, actual anger. Okay, so we, uh, you know, we want to be careful. And again, the expression of such things we have to be really, really focused on. So our second example of sin, the first one was an inward sin, um, you know, expressed through the lust of the eye. Our second expression of sin is an outward or a presumptuous sin that's expressed through the lust of the flesh. And we're going back to Matthew chapter 5. This is in the context of the overall, the Sermon on the Mount and all the things Jesus said to his disciples there. And it's interesting that he tells us several kinds of sins in this environment. Matthew chapter 5, verse 30. If your right hand makes you stumble... Cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into Gehenna. Okay, right hand makes you stumble, cut it off. Now, is Jesus saying, take a knife and cut your hand off? No, he's not. Okay, let's be clear, let's be honest. He's using dramatic language to get our attention. 
cut off the things that you do to keep you from God. That's what he's saying. These are the more publicly discernible sins of action. So what happens with this kind of sin, and how do we overcome it? So, you know, Jonathan, what, what, when, when we commit sins of action, what's actually happening there? Uh, we're, we're just selfishly going down the wrong road. We're, we're being worldly. We're letting the lust of our flesh take over. We're we, losing control. We are actually doing things, not just thinking about them. We're acting them out. We're doing things that are not in accordance with the will of God. And, you know, that kind of brings me back to the first thing you said much earlier about one of the things we need to be afraid of is, is bringing um, reproach. Ha- reproach, reproach upon God. First yes. John 6, 9 is a good example of dealing with this. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's a lot of ifs in there. And, and I kind of like that because, you know, John is, is writing in a way that, well, okay, if we say that we fellowship with him, but we're walking in darkness, who are we trying to kid? You know, we're, we're accountable and we have to follow through right. with that cleansing. Right. So this outward, the presumptuous sins of action are really fit into the scripture because, yeah, yeah you say you're, you're, you're walking with, in fellowship with, with God through Christ, but you're walking, you're doing, you're, 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 you're committing actions of darkness. And he says, we lie and we don't practice truth. I mean, it's pretty simple. You're living a lie hypocritical. Absolutely. So what do we do? What's the overcoming principle here to manage that real hypocritical activity? Honesty and confession before God, admitting there are dark consequences of our sins and honestly confessing them. Forgiveness is available if we are willing to do what it takes to find it. So again, forgiveness, Jonathan, is not just a matter of saying, at the end of the day, and dear Lord, please, you know, forgive any sins I may have committed. In Jesus' name, amen. No, Rick, uh, we need to confess the specific sin through prayer and sometimes testify outwardly to the brotherhood, requesting prayers and help to overcome those sins so that we can have a support team working to help us overcome. And you have accountability. Not only do you have support, but the accountability that says others know. And they're going to ask, so how you doing? Right. And you need to be able to look them in the eye and tell them I'm doing or I'm not doing. Okay. All right. So Jonathan, another practical question here. So far, we've seen potential for inward sin of the eyes and outward sin of the flesh. Is one type of sin worse than the other in terms of the inward versus outward? Well, inward sin most often affects ourselves. Outward sin can affect ourselves and others. Sin in the New Testament means to miss the mark. All sin misses the mark. All sin is wrong. I was thinking of the concept of out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. From Luke 6.45, my question, where's your heart? Are you willing to grow and fight the sin or is your heart saying, oh, that's just me? So to answer the question, inward or outward sin, which is worse? My answer, yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you know what? And, and, and what you said before that, you know, oh, that's just me. And that is such a devious statement. Because if we are Christians and we say, oh, that's just me, what we're really saying is, well, I say I'm a Christian, but I am perfectly content to not act in a Christ-like way in certain circumstances because that's where I have come from. We're surrendering. Right. We're not even willing to even try to fight it. Right. And so what that means is we are, it's almost like we're too tired to try. Oh, that's just me. And, and, you know, I've heard uh, amongst the next generation down a phrase that I don't remember in our generation, but, you know, when, when uh, you know, certain things are happening and, and somebody, you know, maybe did something, you know, maybe less than, uh, than, than the best, let's say. I'm trying to be really nice here. You know, and they're talking to their friend about it. And I've overheard conversations where they say, don't judge me. Don't judge me. And what they're saying is, yeah, I did this, but I don't want to hear it from you. Because it's, oh, that's just me. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and that doesn't get us anywhere. We need to understand that this is a process of elimination. What are we eliminating? Sin. Now, are we going to ever fully eliminate in this life? No way. Does that mean we shouldn't try? No, we got we to gotta get after it. And, and one of the things that I think is so important, we need to put up barriers to prevent ourselves from temptations and weaknesses, Rick. And I do that for myself because I know I am weak in areas. So you put up barriers. You know where your great weaknesses are, and you make it so you can't get there. That's right. But, you know, then, then there's no possibility. Then there's no excitement. And the answer is, yep. That's right. That's the way we want it, because that's Christ-likeness. So, again, what's the thing that we're going to remind you of every segment at least once? To manage sin, redirect your mind. You've got to redirect your mind. Now, we talked about you know going to read a, a devotional uh, text or comment or something. Okay, that's one way. Another way we can redirect our minds is sometimes we can redirect our minds by doing something else. Okay, we're... You know, and look, I'm going to pick on a specific type of sin that is very rampant in the world. Statistically, it's very, very high. Pornography on the computer, online. You start to go down that road. Here's an idea. Get up and leave whatever device you are using and walk away and go, go eat an orange or something. Do something else. Do something else. Psalm 19, uh, beginning of verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Okay, so literally, the precepts mean the appointed plans of God. They're a cause for rejoicing. And so when we start going down roads of sin, let's talk about, well, what are the appointed plans of God already laid out in Scripture? It's something else to think about, a different way to go. God does have a plan. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 are good verses on this. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tables, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. It will not delay. The vision is coming. Be excited about that. Redirect your mind. The precepts of the Lord are right, and they rejoice the heart especially if we're just about to go down that, that, that road that's so dark. Let's go back to uh, 
worst sins. Okay, now gossip was previously mentioned by somebody as a worst sin. We're going to go to what's the worst sin from Northridge Church and hear what their opinion is on what the worst sin is. Do you want to see the sins God hates? That first verse is a real verse. There are six things God hates and seven are detestable to him. Here's what they are. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Pride, because that's what God hates more than anything. A proud look, haughty eyes, internal pride. And so often in a legalistic culture, sexual sin is treated as the worst sin when the sin that God lists as the one he hates most is pride. Okay, so now the last guy said, gossip is the one that God hates most. This, this gentleman says, no, 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 pride's the one that God hates most. So uh, what do you think of pride? Well, it's a big one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're not convinced, but, though. So they all are yeah. pretty big. <laughs> yeah, okay. So but it is. It's a big sin, and it's something we have to really, really, really be careful about. So let's go to another example of sin that's going to carry over into the next segment as well. Our third example of sin is, is okay, outward presumptuous sin that is expressed through the pride of life. Okay, so we're talking about pride. Let's go to the pride of life. And again, we're back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, for you are good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fire of Gehenna. Okay, so that's pretty serious stuff. And, and Jonathan, we don't have time to develop it here in this segment. We'll go to it next segment. These are sins of emotion and sins of reckless judgment. And we need to spend some time on these. What happens with this kind of sin? I mean, this is a kind of sin that is very outward and very big and has lots of far-reaching effects. Okay, this is bad. No matter which way we turn or what we think or feel, sin is there. So far, we have sins of the mind, sins of action, and sins of emotion. Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. Trying to quantify which kind of sin is worst may be a difficult exercise. Let's be careful for answering this question may bring us down a road that says, okay, well, I'm safer with lesser sins and I'll just commit those. Instead, let's focus on the fact that no sin is safe and all sin needs response from us and forgiveness from God. And, and Jonathan, I think that's, in, in dealing with sin and, you know, are some sins worse than others and, and this, whole, this whole situation, what we need to realize is no sin is a safe harbor. None no, of it's them. not. So we've got to understand them that way, and as we understand them that way, then we categorize them as they need help. They need help, or we need help dealing with them is a better way to say that. And, and I was thinking, Rick, that we really need to disrupt the pattern when sin you know, rears its ugly head. We've got to disrupt it, 
and and move move in a different direction as quickly as we can. You know, and that's a great point. Disrupt the pattern of sin. And and I think a good a good analogy for that is in sports. You know, when a team begins to develop momentum and you know, it's in football, they're driving down the field or in basketball, they just keep scoring points, whatever it is, what does the coach of the opposing team do? <laughs> Timeout. That's right. You disrupt the momentum. Sometimes when, when that sin gets momentum in our lives, we need to disrupt it. We need to call a spiritual timeout and say, oh, wait, 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 guys, let's settle down. Let's refocus. You know, it comes back down to that thing that we've been saying, you know, redirect your mind. Call a timeout in dealing with sin. So good. Disrupt the pattern of sin. Let's go back to the School of Life, and he's going to be talking about another one of the seven deadly sins. He's so far covered pride, envy, and wrath. We're not going to be able to cover all seven in, in today's podcast. This next one is the sin of sloth. And remember, his perspective is, well, you know, these things are really not your fault. So listen carefully, then we'll, we'll discuss it. Sloth. Laziness is really fear. We can't bear to get down to our work because if we were to apply ourselves, we risk terrifying humiliation. We might not succeed as well as we'd like. We might find a task too hard. We may realize we're not yet equipped to undertake it or be mocked by the world. These aren't failings so much as hugely understandable worries. Behind our inaction is anticipated disaster, a catastrophizing mind. We will begin at last when the fear of doing nothing at all trumps the crippling fear of doing something badly. Okay. So sloth, he's saying, it's really not your fault. You know, you're just afraid, and I understand, and let's work through that. Uh, again, I could see circumstances where that does apply, but in my mind, in general, in life, if, if you're being slothful, you need to be corrected. If you are working on your job and you are slothful, does your employer say, so, Jonathan, what are you worried about? <laughs> no. <laughs> Get to it. Yes. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and sometimes we need the wake-up call to move forward. Anyway, it's kind of an interesting thing to, to, to see that, that perspective, you know, in relation to, to these sins, and, and you know, it, it makes for, for an interesting conversation. So look, let's continue to outline the last sin of the last segment. Remember, we're talking about sins of emotion and reckless judgment. So let's reread Matthew 5, just reread verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery Gehenna. Okay, so what is Jesus talking about? This is so far removed from our culture. You know, what do you mean? You're going to go to the Supreme Court because you said you're good for nothing? I mean, if that was the case, Jonathan, there would be a line outside the Supreme Court about 17 miles long. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So, so let's, let's outline. Adam Clark has some good commentary on these things, these three things, being angry with your brother, telling them they're good for nothing, or thou fool. What, what is his, his perspective on this? Angry. That anger which leads a man to commit outrageous against another, thereby subjecting himself to that punishment which was to be inflicted on those who break the peace. Okay, so angry meaning that you're going to commit some kind of outrageous act. That's what Jesus is talking about there. What about the, the phrase, you know, good for nothing? To be empty. It signifies a vain, empty, worthless fellow, shallow brains, a term of great contempt. 
And see, that's the point. A term of, it's a great insult when you say back then, in those days, it was a great insult to say, you know, you are good for nothing. And what about saying to someone, thou fool? What are you saying about them? A rebel against God. This term implied among the Jews the highest enormity and most aggravated guilt. So these are deeply insulting terms. You good for nothing person, you're a fool, thou fool. We don't understand it. They don't sound bad at all in our time. But in back in Jesus' time, they were really serious. And, and it's interesting, you know, you've got the, the, the court, the Supreme Court and all that kind of stuff. We've got commentary on that in the uh, bonus material of CQ Rewind, the full edition. And folks, if you don't subscribe to CQ Rewind, please do. It's a free service. Uh, go to ChristianQuestions.com, uh, sign up for that. And then you can see the, the sort of rounding out the discussion on that. But Jonathan, what this is showing us are sins of emotion, okay? Sins of reckless judgment. These kinds of sins can break others as well as ourselves and are presumptuous and absolutely they are pride-driven. So we need to deal with that. And when we have sins of emotion, and I would say that a lot of the sins that we see around us and that we commit are sins of emotion because we're being taught in our society that how I feel is the most important thing. Oh, how damaging that is. Right, and that is so very wrong. It's not how I feel that's the most important thing. What's right, what holds integrity, those are the most important things. So dealing with sins of emotion, James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Is any among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is any among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And it has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So a lot of this is about getting help. A lot of this is about saying, okay, when something is not right, You've got to pull in the reinforcements. You've got to do something bigger, something better, something outside of yourself. And especially with sins of emotion, Jonathan, they are, you know, you had said earlier uh, something about, you know, the inward sins generally aren't going to hurt somebody else, but the outward sins can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the sins of emotion are those kinds of, of outward sins that can really wreak havoc on the people around us. So, so we've got another overcoming principle for sins of emotion and, and sins of reckless judgment. What is it? Mutual trust and confession. Honesty with our weaknesses to others can be hard. Seek those of spiritual maturity and understanding, and this honesty can be a healing balm. So mutual trust and confession. Honesty being willing to share it. But see, here's the thing, you know, when, when, when we seek somebody who's spiritually mature, that honesty can be a healing bomb. If we find the wrong person, it can be a ticking bomb. Okay. <laughs> so we got to yeah. be careful because it's not just going, you know, just saying something to somebody arbitrarily. There's a process to this. And that's what James was describing. Go to the elders, go to those who know, those who are spiritually wise. So, so let's, let's get down to some practicality here. Finding someone can, to talk to can be scary, especially if we're committing sins of emotion and reckless judgment. 
So what's most important when you're trying to find somebody to talk to? Is it somebody that we trust? Is it someone that we admire spiritually? Is it someone in a position of leadership? Is it someone who's tolerant? What, what, what do you think are the most important aspects here? Well, Rick, someone we trust, of course, and someone uh, we admire spiritually, absolutely. Someone in a position of leadership, well, maybe. It depends on the situation. Uh, someone um, that's tolerant, okay. But uh, someone who is supportive and honest and really listens and who is discreet, that's key. Have you ever shared your trial with someone before? And, and before you know it, they're talking about themselves or someone that they know. You know, you step out on a limb and share, and then it feels like maybe you shouldn't have. Yeah. You know, so choose wisely. <laughs> well, you know, and, and you're right. You know, someone who, who's discreet, somebody who really listens. And, you know, and I think I might add to that somebody and, and you said somebody who's honest. But what that means is they're not necessarily going to give you the answer you want. Oh, good point. We want to have that person give us be willing to give us the answer that we need. And that's hard. Because we don't want to hurt somebody who's confiding in us. We don't want to make their situation worse. But if you're not willing to, to rise above and, 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 and start to help them see what they need, then all you're doing is verifying their own situation and you're really not helping them out of it. That's right. You're hurting them. Yeah, yeah. And so we've got to be careful about that. And, and if you're going to be a person that people talk to, that's wonderful. But are you willing to be strong enough to give them what they need, especially when dealing with sins of emotion and, and reckless, reckless judgment? Um, Let, let's remind everyone, Rick, to manage our sin and redirect our minds. Okay, you've got to redirect your mind. And every time we say that, I'm going to give you another suggestion. This time, sometimes changing your location might help. I mean, get up and oh, move someplace else. Good idea. Okay, just, just change it up. Because your mind is going down down a road or your actions are such, leave the situation or leave the scenario. Change your location. That can help us. Back to Psalm 19.8, because another thing that can help us is focusing on the way God deals with humanity. That reminds us of a, of a higher way. Psalm 19, the second half of verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Okay. What God has commanded give us, gives us really clear insight in a foggy world. This helps us deal with sin because sin thrives in the fog of this world. It just thrives in the fog because when things are in a foggy situation, you can't really tell what's what, where the beginning, where the end is, where it came from, what the purpose is. So it's gray, Rick. Yes, it is a gray area. That's right. Not black or white. No, that's very, very good observation there. All that we need regarding Jesus, regarding God's commands, rather, uh, for us we have received through Jesus. And he tells us that in John 15, verses 12 to 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So this is tender, loving care. This is Jesus and his TLC with us. My commandment. And you know, I love this because Jesus is commanding something. And it is the most soft-spoken, 
deep commandment you could ever imagine. It's like getting hit with that velvet hammer. I command you to love one another as I have loved you. I mean, how do you argue with that? That's beautiful. <laughs> right. So part of redirecting our minds, you know, changing our location and dealing with these kinds of sins is making sure that we understand that the commandments of God through Jesus open our eyes. And if we now focus on loving one another, first and foremost, acting in a sinful way is far, there's no room for it. It's far less appealing now because there's something that's become much more important in its place. So really important to see the commandments of the Lord are pure. They enlighten our eyes, and that's exactly what that did there. Uh, let's go to another soundbite uh, about the worst sin. Okay, so far we've had, we have gossip in the running, and we've got pride in the running. Now we're going to go to what is the worst sin from Father Robert Carr and see what his perspective is. But believe it or not, the worst sin in the Bible, very clear that we see especially in the Old Testament in places like Exodus and Deuteronomy, and we see that up and down the entire Bible, the worst sin in the Bible is actually something that we take for granted today, even though it surrounds us and it is common. That sin is idolatry. If you study your scriptures, you will see that the absolute worst sin in the Bible is idolatry, which is the reason why God gave Moses idolatry and its prohibited, pro prohibition against idolatry as the very first commandment. You shall not have false gods before me. That's a pretty compelling argument. What do you think? It's a big one. You know, now do you have a worst one in your mind, Jonathan? I actually don't. You don't. Okay. Don't. And, and for me, I think I would, I would qualify the worst sin is the one that I have the hardest time with. Hmm. Okay. Whatever that might be. But in terms of generality, the sin of idolatry, when you think about it in relation to the Ten Commandments, the relation to the world around us, that is a big one. Because if God's commandments start with having no other God before me, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. And then the last commandment is about not coveting. Coveting is a form of idolatry as well. So idolatry really is a big enough sin that it encompasses a whole lot of others. I would put that really near the top. Do I know which one's the worst? No, but that's pretty bad, that one. Okay? So... We've talked about gossip, pride, and idolatry, and it's fascinating to me to see, you know, three different individuals, you know, very emphatically proclaim, this is what God says is the worst sin. Moral of the story, sin is bad. It's all bad, and we need to really work on not getting involved with it. So let's go to our fourth example of sin, inward hidden sin, in this example, that it can be expressed in all three ways, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and we'll add those ingredients as we go through the scripture. Ephesians 4, 17 to 19, again, this is an inward sin expressed those three different ways. So this I say, and I affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the fertility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality. Okay, now that sensuality is the, the lust of the eye. They become callous and given themselves over to the things that they see and, 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 and that's the beginning. 
for the practice. Which is the lust of the flesh, the actions that come after the, the desire of the eyes. Of every kind of impurity with greediness. And there you have the pride of life. So these are sins of a deadened conscience. And now we're getting into some really serious things. I mean, the sins of emotion and reckless uh, judgments are really bad, but the sins of a deadened conscience, this brings us to a whole different level. These are sins of a deadened conscience and may perhaps be some of the most difficult sins to manage. So we're going to need to ask ourselves, you know, well, what do we do about such things? So all of this discussion on sin adds up to one thing. Thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus. Having bad personal history creates a real mess. What are the most important things to combat it? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. All right, let's face it. Most of us look back on our lives before we came to Christ and we kind of shudder, okay? Sometimes we look back on our experiences even after we came to Christ and we still shudder. <laughs> in every case, one of the most important resolves to put in place is this simple statement. That was then, this is now. Okay? I like that. I like that a lot, Rick. That was then, this is now. See, the past does not equal the present. And the past need not influence the future. Our past should contribute to our future, but it should not influence the future. Rick, sometimes our greatest sins can be our greatest turning points. Oh, okay. See, now that, that whole, sheds a whole different light on this thing because, you know, we've been talking about fighting it and fighting it and fighting it and overcoming and overcoming and overcoming. And so what you're saying is the greatest sins can be the greatest turning points. That's, of course, if we fight to overcome them. That's right. And never want to ever return there again. And another point of really messing up and then learning from it is you can be more sympathetic to others. So now what you're doing is, this was very, very sly on your part. That was very good. Is you're saying, okay, it's a hard battle. We're talking about the battle. But you're saying, but look at the value of that battle by fighting it. Not only can it be your greatest turning point, but, and you, but also you can take what you've learned and now it's valuable to somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. So it is so worth fighting the fight. Really, really important. And, and again, going back to, you've had a whole bunch of those, those nuggets today, you know, going back to disrupt the momentum of sin, disrupt the pattern, you know, you, the, the talk, the, 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 the conversation before about the fear of, 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 how did you put Br it? Bringing reproach to God. Right, of bringing reproach to God. These are all things that help bring us right into the, into the centerpiece of how to fight this fight. So let's get back to managing our deadened conscience dilemma. And this is a big one, Jonathan, because the conscience of the world in which we live is quite dead. It really is. The next verse in Ephesians answers the problem of the deadened conscience. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him 
and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And Rick, I was thinking that verse really made me think of have integrity of thought and deed in your Christian walk. So, you know, we talked about that phrase that a lot of times we use, well, and I think you brought it up, uh, you know, well, that's just me. And what this verse is saying is lay aside your old self. That's right. That's just what you were. That was then. This is now. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Whatever it is, was then. This is now. Put on the new self. That was then. This is now. Create that self, be, new self created in righteousness and holiness of truth. That was then. This is now. The beauty of fighting against sin in Christ and asking for forgiveness is we can have new beginnings all the time. And even if we fall down again and again, we can get up as long as we're trying. And, and, and God gives us strength and, and Jesus gives us direction. What's the overcoming principle here? Reaffirm your transformed life. If you have been called to follow Christ, then you therefore have been given a higher spiritual conscience. Let it be your guide. Okay. You let your conscience be your guide, but make sure that what guides your conscience is the highest levels of integrity and godliness and spirituality. Make sure we don't use the old conscience, but use the new one. And all of the things we talked about previously about you know getting help and all of that really comes into play with uh, sins of a deadened conscience. And Jonathan, you know, people who've had a deadened conscience can have revitalized conscience. They just need to learn to, to plant the new seeds. Back to the, uh, the seven deadly sins. The final one we're going to be talking about is the, uh, the, the sin of greed. And again, this individual from the School of Life is saying, well, you know, these things really aren't so much your fault. Well, let's listen. Greed, the powerful urge to take more than our fair share, is really a reaction to a feeling of deprivation. We felt so neglected and vulnerable, we require ever more. Our fear is so entrenched, we're trying to keep it at bay by grabbing as much as we can as quickly as possible. To others, we may look already advantaged and privileged, but inside, we just feel desperate. You notice how much of <laughs> nobody can can hear that, but boy, could I see it! The look on your face was like, really? What was that? <laughs> you know. But again, I can see a circumstance where where you can see that being being true. But for the most part, the idea of greed is just overreaching. You know, and instead of saying, "Oh, you poor little little person," you know, I know you're feeling depraved. Deprived, rather. You know, there's so much more to it. And we have to stand up against these things. It's just not a matter of saying, oh, you poor person, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not. It's not. What do we have to do here? We have to manage sin and redirect your mind. Again and again and again and again. Another example of redirecting your mind. Sometimes we might need to talk, to talk or text someone. 
Okay, you know, you, you you're in that situation and you're being tempted. So send a text to somebody that you care about. You know, that may be able to respond to you. You know, send them a scripture. Send, get that. Get get somebody else involved into your into your circumstance. Psalm 19 verses uh, first part of verse nine. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is clean. You know, and you talked about being afraid of letting God down. That's right. Bringing Bringing reproach reproach against him. You know, and that's something to be afraid of. The fear, that's legitimate fear and reverence of God in all of his ways is an eternally enduring characteristic. In James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, reestablishes looking up as the only way to deal with all this stuff. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom from above. That's the way to deal with the sins in our lives. Now, we've had all kinds of different sins and combinations that we've talked about as examples of sin. And, and Jonathan, there, you know, the, the subject of sin, unfortunately, is a massive, massive, massive subject. So there's lots of other things we could have, you know, roads we could have gone down and we could have examined specific sins specifically. But we thought what we'd try to do today is give an overview of a lot of these things so we can say this kind of sin exists. Be aware of it. This kind of sin exists. Be aware of it. And again, you've got inward sin and presumptuous sin. All sin comes by way of lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. This fifth example is one of those presumptuous outward sins that can be expressed in all three ways. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And Jonathan, this is one of the lists in the New Testament. There are several. None of them are good. So 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now, one of the things I want to be clear about uh, on, this, on this list is all of the things on this list are actions, okay? You know, all of the things on this list are things that we do, things that we do outwardly, presumptuously. And, you know, just, and, and I'm bringing that up because I don't want people to jump to conclusions on any piece of this, like, oh my goodness, so somebody who's gay can't get into the kingdom of heaven. That's simply not true. It's the practicing of those things. Let me give another example, just as harsh, if you will, because you say, well, that's, that's harsh. Yeah, well, you know what else it says? Fornicators won't inherit the kingdom of God. So, you know, if you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and you are a Christian, you think God's pleased with that? No, he's not. It's what it says. You know, harsh. Yeah, sin is harsh. You know, uh, idolaters. We talked about idolatry a little bit as, as something that is putting something in front of God. Idolatry happens in a lot of different ways. Uh, um, revilers, people who talk badly about others. People do that all the time. Look at, look at, look at tw- uh, Twitter. Look at, look at what people say about each other. Look at their reactions. Um, Thieves, covetous, covetous, 
People are always wanting things that are not theirs. Don't, don't inherit the kingdom. All of the things, all these actions, Jonathan, are difficult. And it's and this is this is one of those come to Jesus moments where you say, wow, these are bad. Drunkards don't inherit the kingdom. Okay? So <laughs> you look at this and say, and again, it's talking in, in language that was very, very clear in those days. We'd have to spend a whole lot of time uh, putting it in perspective for today. But the point is... These are actions that can be done in a variety of ways that keep us away from godliness. And here's the, the beauty of this verse. Just reread verse 11 again. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Okay, you may have been that way. Doesn't mean you have to stay that way. That was then. This is now. It's not just our previously messed up conscience that we need to be aware of. It's also all of the sins of our earthly habits that we need to put in check. They should have no place in any Christian's life. Let's go to 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And that is a verse of great, great comfort when we find ourselves committing sins. We have this advocate. If you're a Christian, the advocate is Jesus, and he sits by your side before the Father as you confess your sins. And he's working with you to help you to overcome those sins. So what's our final overcoming principle for today? Well, Rick, it's accept that there are no compromising with sin and go to the advocate. Okay, there are no compromises when it comes to sin. We are either allowing it or we're not. Now look, sometimes when we're getting out of sin, you, it's a process of working your way out. That's understandable. That's justifiable. But you're not always supposed to be in the working your way out and with particular sins. At some point, it's you're, you, you've got to be stepping away, you know, step away from the sin and move on. <laughs> okay? So, again, one last time, what's the key? To manage sin, redirect your mind. Okay. Uh, another way to redirect your mind. Sometimes we might need to talk out loud to ourselves. You know, you're in that situation, it may be getting tempting, and you need to say to yourself, or I need to say to myself, Rick, what are you doing? You know better than this. Back up, reset, walk away. Talk out loud to yourself. Because sometimes when you hear yourself argue with yourself, you win. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> okay. And so that brings us to Psalm 19, uh, the second half of verse 9. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. See, God's judgments are righteous, and his judgment calls uh, followers of Christ. That's his judgment. His judgment is to call sinners to follow Christ. He knows what he's calling. He knows we're way, way, way off the mark, and he calls us anyway. His judgments are righteous altogether because he can make us righteous. Isaiah 41.10 is a great, inspiring verse that helps us to see that. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is such a powerful, powerful promise to just hold on to as we look at things. So all sin is revealed inwardly 
or outwardly, hidden or presumptuous. It manifests in the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And all sin works in the following patterns that we discussed. Jonathan, there's one, two, three, four, five different patterns. What are they? Sins of the mind, sins of action, sins of emotion and reckless judgment, sins of a deadened conscience, and sins of our earthly habits. So these are this helps us to understand the battle. And there's a lot of things that we can put in place to help to fight this battle. You know, and again, let me just remind you of those redirecting your mind uh, hints throughout the, the podcast. Literally change the subject, just like someone who's got Alzheimer's. Uh, go to devotional scriptures or readings to, to, to reset your mind. Do something else physically. Change your location physically. Talk to someone or text someone or talk out loud to yourself. Those are just practical ways to look at sin and say, okay, you know what? Enough of this. I need to be better because I've been called to better. Doesn't matter where we're coming from, Jonathan. It matters where we're going. And it matters that we want to stay on the road to conquering the sin in our lives. So we're we're getting close to, to wrapping up, but just any any final thoughts, any final you know perceptions on dealing with sin? Don't look at others and their sins. Look at yours and work on them very hard. Because you're being judged from your heart. So I'm not being judged by your sins. No, you're not. So I can't be looking at you saying, okay, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I look at Jonathan and say, well, he's, uh, you know, he's in such rough shape and I'm in so much better shape, so I must be okay. You know, that's what you're saying is it's got to be a mirror thing. And if it's not a mirror thing, then it's the wrong thing. And if it's the wrong thing, then goodness gracious, we'd better do something different about it. Folks, look, are some sins worse than others? Sure. Have we talked about a whole lot of different sins and some that are, you know, higher up on the ladder? Sure. Have we told you what the worst one is? No, because we don't know. What we know is the worst one for you is probably the one that you struggle with the most. Bottom line is if you've been called to Christ, you are in a situation where you can rise above these things step by step. There's lots and lots of tools available. So just make the decision to rise above sin. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, I hope you've enjoyed uh, being with us today. A lot to discuss, a lot to think about in terms of dealing with sin. You can do it with the help of God through Christ. Think about it. Folks, look, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, in Google Play, in Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, again, we've got part three of Is the Hell of Christian Tradition Taught in the Bible? Again, part three. You don't want to miss that. So at this point, we will talk to you next week.